Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we gather this morning, and each of us, we would love for that to be true. We would love for your goodness to run after us. Because some of us know a deep, deep sadness. And others carry a very real concern. Some of us are full of faith, but others have lots of questions. Lord, would you make your goodness known to us now as we gather around your word, the Bible? Give us ears to hear and meet us where we are so as to take us to the place you want us to go. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks, guys. Good work, man. Just out of curiosity, I've been wondering, has anybody been pressing hard, working hard, trying hard, going to do more, going to be better? And now it's November and it's already snowing and you're just tired. Just tired. (laughs) Or maybe you're on the other side of that equation. You remember what it was like when the phone was ringing off the hook. The emails were coming and the texts were flying and your calendar was full and the, and the packed calendar, you got to tell people, I'm, I'm busy. And by saying I'm busy, you mean I matter. I'm worthwhile. Look at my calendar. Whatever side of that equation you find yourself on, I want you to take a deep breath. I want you to exhale. I want you to listen to God's heart for you, the center of the gospel. Jesus loves you. Now, Karl Barth, 20th century theologian, uh, he, he wrote a ton of stuff theology stuff, 12 volumes called The Church Dogmatics. Needed a serious marketing campaign. (laughs) At the end of his life was asked, Dr. Bart, in all of the learning, what's most important? You know what Bart said? Jesus loves me. Which is kind of what G.K. Chesterton was getting after too when he referred to the furious love of God which is what Brennan Manning had in mind when he says God has one furious orientation towards us. He loves us. I don't know what you're bringing to Pillar today. Maybe you're overwhelmed. Or maybe you're bored. Listen, Jesus loves you.
we're going to come to the table in just a few minutes. We're going to eat the bread, dip it in the cup. I, I want it to be just a taste of, of how deep God's love for you goes. But first, we're going to listen to a love song, uh, sung by the prophet Isaiah. It is a love song, but it does take a kind of a turn. It's a little more complicated than what you might hear on like the top 40 type love song stuff. Uh, I want you to listen to two, for two words that are repeated, and then two questions asked that I want us to ask too. Let me sing for my beloved. My love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stone and planted in it choice vines He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. He expected it to yield grapes. But it it yielded wild grapes. And now, inhabitants of Jerusalem and people of Judah, judge me... Judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do in my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I expected it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I'll tell you what I'll do to my vineyard. I'll remove the hedge and it will be devoured. I will break down the wall and it will be trampled down. I will lay waste to it. It will no longer be pruned or hoed. It will be overgrown with briars and thorns. I will command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. The vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the people of Judah are his pleasant plantings. I expected justice, but saw bloodshed. Righteousness, but heard a cry. This is the word of the Lord. It's Isaiah 5, verses 1 through 7. You're more than welcome to find it in a Bible near you. There should be some on the pew back in front of you. They're actually new Bibles. You might be the first person to open it. It's a love song. Kind of in the Keith Urban, Garth Brooks, Carrie Underwood, someone killed my dog and my truck died rather than the Ed Sheeran Pop 40 you know I had to look up all of those names (laughs) just want my kids to think I'm cool that's all there's two words repeated and two questions asked the first word is love it's repeated and anytime the Bible repeats itself it's the Bible's way of saying hey Hey, look, over here, pay attention, love, 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 let me sing for my beloved, 
My love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. The song admittedly does take a turn, but it begins with love. It's not, if you're going to read the Bible, it's not long before you will be confronted by the furious, to borrow from Chesterton, the furious love of God. It's unrelenting. It's unending. It won't quit. It won't stop. He loves you. God loves you. God who spoke the world into existence, who winked and the stars started shining. The universe started expanding. That God loves you. Let me sing my love song for my vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard. God loves you. It, it, just behind God's garden question, when Adam and Eve ate of the tree, they were told not to eat. And God asked, where are you? A question fueled by love. And when God showed up to Noah and, and promised the, the rainbow shining on the earth, a, a sign, I love you. And when God showed up to Abram and Sarah and said, I'm going to be your God and you're going to be my people, I'm going to bless you and through you all the world's going to be blessed all because I love you. Uh, Henry Nouwen wrote a book titled Life of the Beloved. You have to keep unmasking the world about you for what it is. Manipulative, controlling, power hungry, and in the long run destructive. The truth, even though I can't feel it sometimes, is that I am the chosen child of God, precious in God's eyes, called the beloved from all eternity and held safe in an everlasting belief. He loves you. Uh, Brennan Manning, if I can quote him twice. If you took the love of all the best mothers and fathers who have lived in the course of human history, all their goodness, kindness, patience, fidelity, wisdom, tenderness, strength, and love, and united all those qualities in a single person, that person's love would only be a faint shadow of the furious love and mercy in the heart of God the Father addressed to you. He loves you. I've not been a lot of places in the world, but I've been a few uh, Turkey, Nicaragua, Mexico, Uganda, the U.S., and I've preached in each of these places, and every time you begin to speak of the love of God, everyone needs to hear it. It blows my mind. I don't know the language. I can't understand the customs, but we all get that. He loves you. Now, let's be fair, though. The song does take a turn. I mean, let me sing for my beloved, my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard. I'll tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I'll remove its hedge and it shall be devoured. I'll break down its walls and it shall be trampled down. I'll make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed. It shall be overgrown with briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. Now Isaiah goes the way of Hosea. Somehow in, in, in the economy of God, God's love and God's anger aren't antithetical to one another. They're not opposites of one another. Somehow God's love can hold God's anger. It doesn't squash God's anger. If we remove God's anger from God's love, we end up with a teddy bear whose sole purpose is making sure you're comfortable. But if we remove love from God's anger, we find ourselves running anxious and afraid. I'll try harder. I'll do more. I'll be better. All the while, I love you. I love you. That's the first word repeated. 
Here's the second. Expect. Uh, first, it's verse 2. He expected it to yield grapes. And then basically repeats that line in verse 4. When I expected it to yield grapes. And then again in verse 7. He expected justice. Now, the word expect in Hebrew is chava, which is a very close relative to the word tikva, which is really helpful, isn't it? Tikva is hope. Expectation and hope go together. They hold hands. Can you conceive of a God who hopes? We've sort of mechanized God. God sort of wound up the world like a clock at the beginning of time, and we're just sort of biding our time until finally it runs out of seconds. And then God will come again and take care of the faithful and dismiss the unfaithful. It's just sort of mechanical. What, what if God hopes? What, what if God is more invested in us? What if God has hopes for us? When God showed up to Abram and Sarah and said, I'm going to bless you, he was hoping that, that Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and like all of us too would actually, he had hoped we'd be a blessing. And when, when God sent the prophets to call the people back from their wayward ways, he, he was hoping we would go the way of faithfulness. And ultimately, finally, God's hopes for us in the world pursue justice. That's what it says. He expected justice, but saw bloodshed. He had hoped for righteousness, but heard a cry. Now, we hear the word justice and we mostly conceive of that, at least in this contemporary moment, we mostly conceive of that as social justice, which doesn't make it wrong. It's just justice is so much more than just social justice. Social justice doesn't complete the justice of God. So our, our, our conceptions of justice have to do with those on the margins, who's, who's been marginalized, which is necessary and right, of course, to ask and to think and to wonder Marginalization, though, insists on a center. There's no margin if there isn't a center. My concern, we've sort of replaced God at the center with me at the center. So autonomy becomes God. Self-expression is worship. And you do you is our creed. Come on, who says you do you? So anything that would hinder or limit my self-expression necessarily puts me on the margins. Which is the focus of our attention then, if, if, that, if, if that's how you define justice. But what if that vision is flawed? What if I'm not at the center? What if God's at the center? What if God's at the center and God's heart for the world is at the center? It kind of reframes the way you think of justice. Am I right? And since I'm critiquing stuff, how about righteousness? 
we think of righteousness as personal piety, individual devotions. Read your Bible more. Come on. Say your prayers better. Let's go. And show up to church by all means. Pastor loves it. And I do. <laughs> Righteousness gets de defined very uh, individually and never pays any attention to anything beyond itself. The sad, the broken, the hurting, the wondering, the curious, the afraid. Justice has been co-opted and righteousness has been misapplied. I had hoped for justice. I had hoped for righteousness. And he still does. Those are the two words repeated. Now, now the, one of the questions asked, it's verse 4 if you're following along. Why did it yield wild grapes? One of the things I love about the Christian faith, at least in theory, we're willing to be honest with ourselves and the reality of our world. Why? Why did it yield wild grapes? Isaiah could have stood up and said, it yielded wild grapes. But he wants a little more reflection, a little more introspection, a little more, why? I love the Christian faith invites a little more reflection, a little more honesty. There's rumors about the church. I'm not just pillar, I... I mean, the church and pillars, part of it. The church is not a safe place. I don't know if you've felt that or heard that. I have. You know, we'll, we'll smile politely in the narthex or in the gathering space. But if you found out, if you actually knew, if you heard the polite smile in the gathering space would become the gossip. At the office space or the coffee shop, which would turn into the, the shame on Eighth Street or the farmers market. So just you just have just keep it. You just keep your church, keep your gathering. I don't I'm not I don't dare. Because if you found out. All the while, this ought to be the most honest space you'll be all week long. This one, of everyone, ought to have space for, I'm not saying each of us standing up with a microphone, like, naming it all. But I am suggesting each of us with some of us who can be appropriately vulnerable. Why? I got an email earlier, earlier this week from one of you. I'm not going to tell you who, and I'm going to totally disguise the details. So even if it's you, you won't recognize I'm talking about you. <laughs> Which means I'm lying to you. Uh, they had invited a friend. We'll, we'll just say she's 25. Uh, she had invited a friend. We'll say she's 25 too. 
to church a couple weeks ago, and they, they came, and Pillar was Pillar. You know, we did our Pillar nest thing. Some of it was great, probably. Uh, some of it was a little like, whoa. Uh, afterwards, I think they were in the gathering space, found themselves in a conversation. People were saying stuff, and this guest wasn't quite sure. Kind of kept to herself. Afterwards, as they were walking out, the guest said to the host, is this a safe place to wonder? They reported the story to me, and I was like, oh, yeah, oh, very much so, resounding, yes. But I'll just leave it as a question. Is this a safe place? Why? Not just it did, but why? Why did it yield wild grapes? Here's a second question. Verse 4 again. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? And the answer is obvious. Isaiah surely wants the obvious. I know, God, it's not your fault. It's not your fault, God. It's on me. I mean, Paul told me there's not even one who's righteous. And the psalmist announced, I was born guilty, a sinner when my mother conceived me. And the Heidelberg Catechism, sometimes known for its tenderness, not always, doesn't God do us an injustice by requiring in his law what we were unable to do? And the answer is a resounding no. God created human beings with the ability to keep the law. They, however, provoked by the devil, in willful disobedience, robbed themselves and all their descendants of the gifts. Welcome to Pillar. Glad you could be here. How's it going? I know, God. I know. It's my fault. It's our fault. And that's actually, like, theologically accurate. (laughs) Sorry. It just is. But what if Isaiah's asking a deeper question? What if Isaiah isn't just wanting what everyone knows is true anyway? Nobody thinks you're fine. Nobody. (laughs) I mean, we walk around, we do the best we can to make it seem like it's good. I'm great. How you doing? Living the dream. Liar. (laughs) Nobody believes you. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done it? And I know, God, I know. What if Isaiah is asking a deeper question? What more is there to do? Isaiah's the one who says, look, the virgin shall conceive. Isaiah's the one who said, a shoot shall come forth from the stump of Jesse. Isaiah's the one, a little child shall lead them. Isaiah's the one who announced, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus, pointing to Jesus. What more is there to be done for my vineyard that I have not done in it? Jesus. Jesus is the more. Jesus, who went to the cross to forgive you, to the grave to defeat death so it wouldn't get the last word rose victorious in resurrection, ascended to heaven where he rules and reigns until he comes again to make it all right and to make it all new. Jesus is the more. The question is not, what more can you do for the vineyard that you have not done in it? 
The question is, what more is there to be done in my vineyard that I have not done in it? Running around, hurrying about, trying harder, doing more, being better. And you're just tired. You're just exhausted. Isaiah shouts, Jesus is the more. So eight days ago, we got back from Uganda. It feels like a couple years ago. Uh, it's, it's, oh, we had a great time. It was, it was amazing. Um, it was 80. <laughs> so it's, Uganda's got that going for it. Uh, <laughs> lions and giraffes and hippopotami. Uh, the road. I mean, it's a developing world country. So, it, you know, just access to the stuff isn't as readily available. The roads, some of them are paved. Uh, but mostly they're like glorified trails. Red soil trail, tons of potholes. Shacks on the side of the road. I mean, shacks. People with long toothpicks and beef stuck on the end of them trying to get me to buy them. And we ate some of the food, but not the toothpick beef stuff. <laughs> and nobody drinks the water because it's just not clean. Uh, there was a kid, a little boy, he was off to the side of one of the road trails, uh, playing with a little bike tire, kind of beat up, banged up, just rolling it down the This big, huge smile on his face, loving life. One of the Im- impressions that I still, still have of uh, Uganda, they're just, they're just the joy, just pleasure. And then I came back. It was eight days ago. We have access to so much stuff. I mean, check this out. On Friday, I put a hook on my door, and by the end of the day, a guy named Sheldon had delivered clothes for me. And then I hopped online, and I'm like, yeah, I'd like some of that and some of that. And then a dude wearing a green shirt with shipped spelled wrong on the chest brought me food for the game, which was on the big screen. Well, some of us are Snapchatting, and I got my computer open and my phone ready because I don't know why. I just I have access to so much stuff. And it's not stuff. I'm not picking on stuff. Don't hear me wrong. Don't hear me wrong. And yet, you know what they say? You know what the reports are about us? Probably not you, but the rest of us? Anxious? Depressed? Scared? Worried? Exhausted? Wait, what? What more is there to be done for my vineyard that I have not done in it? And so we run around and we hurry about and we worry and we try. I'll do more. I'll be better. And we're flat out exhausted. Straight up tired. 
And if your calendar's no longer full, you kind of wish it were. What if Jesus is the more? What if Jesus is the more? And he loves you. Be at peace. Take a deep breath. Exhale. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Gracious God, as we come to the table today, may it be just a taste. A taste of just how deep and long and high and wide your love is. Some of us are here and there's like real sadness in this room today. Concerns and worries and fear. And some of us are fine, kind of, but all of us carry something. Can, can, would you meet us here at this table to say, I love you? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you believe that Jesus is Lord and you acknowledge him as Savior, you're welcome at this table. If you're not at that place in life or faith, you just happened into pillar or were dragged by a friend, it's a privilege to have you here. I don't want to ask you to do something that would be inauthentic to, to who you are and where you are. You're either welcome to remain seated in the pew or come forward uh, to be greeted by those who are serving at stations or if you would even prefer Someone will speak a word of blessing over your life. If those who are prepared to serve communion could join me here.